we have to be bold about this and, and we have to be smart about our infrastructure. We have to be smart about our development and we have to offer real help to folks who, who are going to be increasingly affected by it. And, and, and a lot of times too, it's, you know, it is the folks, unfortunately, in the less affluent communities who are disproportionately affected by air pollution, by flooding, by all of those things, and also communities of color. Hurricane Ida brought record-breaking and catastrophic flooding to the state of Delaware, causing millions of dollars in damages. Weeks later, many residents are still struggling to pick up the pieces and rebuild their lives. As so-called 100-year weather events, like Ida, become more and more common in our state, which is the lowest lying in the nation, lawmakers are looking at policies to address these environmental concerns before they become even more dire. We'll hear about a few of those policies from Representative Deborah Heffernan, who is chair of the House Natural Resources Committee. We'll also hear from Representative Eric Morrison, who was a sponsor of the plastic bag ban bill, which was signed by Governor Carney earlier this year. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, this is Whip Count. a sponsor of our plastic bag ban bill. So welcome, Representative Morrison. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. So before we get into the nitty gritty of the environmental issues and the plastic bag ban, I wanted to ask you how your first session went. How did you think everything went? Did you enjoy it? Tell me a little bit about it. I enjoyed it very much. And of course, it was a learning experience, but it helped me, you know, that for you know, a number of years, I, I was an activist and was very involved in local and state politics and such. And um, so it, it was a learning experience, but, you know, I, I feel like I was a little bit ahead of the curve and um, it was hard with COVID. Um, you know, it was really exciting once we got down into Dover and I definitely saw what people said about seeing people in person and making those interpersonal relationships and just being able to grab somebody and pull them aside or pop into their office um, so hopefully this coming session, we will be all in person. and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Speaking of those interpersonal connections, I know you worked with our majority leader, Representative Valerie Longhurst, on this plastic bag bill. So can you tell me how that came to be and what made you become a co-sponsor of this bill? Yeah, well, I was, I was very supportive of the bill originally, and I know that uh, Representative Longhurst worked really hard on it for a number of years, and I know that uh, Representative Brady worked on it. And um, it, really what happened was I was at my local grocery store one day and um, I saw that they had the new thick reusable bags and my blood pressure just kind of shot through the roof. But what really sealed it for me was on the way out the door in the lobby, there was one of those reusable thick bags hanging out of the trash can. And then my blood pressure just shot even higher. And I thought, you know, this is not okay. So I, I, I literally got out to my car and I called Representative Longhurst um, and we talked about it uh, because, you know, it, it really just, it was a shame that, you know, stores and such took advantage of kind of a loophole in it. And I just thought, you know, now instead of having thinner plastic bags out there and, and you know, degrading in the environment and, and, and the, the plastic particles in the environment and blowing around the streets. Now we're going to have thicker bags that are going to take even longer to to decompose. So so that's kind of where all that started for me. Right. And you alluded a little bit to it earlier, the loophole. So can you explain for people that might not know, what kind of loophole did this bill close? 
this loophole basically, I mean, in a nutshell, the way I view it is, and this is certainly not something that was intentional, um, but I think a lot of retailers took advantage of the fact that they could almost label anything as reusable uh, or, you know, uh, and I think that's really what happened there. And it was a shame that a lot of retailers kind of took advantage of that and said, hey, we're just going to make even more, even thicker plastic bags and call them reusable plastic bags. So that was really kind of the loophole. So what we needed to do is to, to kind of go back and say, you know, no plastic bags at all. And I'm glad that, you know, we're, we're um, phasing this in also into not just the bigger retailers. We're going to phase it into the smaller retailers as well. Of course, we're giving them time and all of that, but I'm happy that we're doing that. So when can stores expect to have that deadline of no more plastic bags? Uh, oh my gosh, I I have worked on so much legislation lately and everything is, is kind of uh, mashed together in my head. Uh, but I believe that it is January of 2022 okay. for the um, larger retailers. And then I believe that it's June of 2022 for the smaller ones. But I also know that there's being research, there's research being done in terms of what kind of bags can we use for the future that are a lot less bad for the environment, whether that be hemp or whatever it be. I know that for me, I've actually been ordering um, uh, biodegradable bags uh, that are a lot more environmentally friendly. I've been getting those and, and, and you know, they're actually, they're not expensive, you know, at all. So um, I hope, I hope a lot of folks are looking into that option. What made you drawn to environmental issues? I mean, a lot of reasons. I guess the most basic, basic reason, and it sounds, you know, you hear it all the time, but I mean, we have one planet. I mean, this is what we have. We see with climate change right now, you know, we, we are past the point of return on a lot of things, and we need to do whatever we can do and get very serious about it so that it doesn't get even worse. I mean, we're seeing you know, these incredible storms and more frequent storms, the intensity is so much higher. I know that right here in Newcastle County, when you look at the data over the past 10 or 15 years, the frequency and intensity of our rainstorms has drastically increased. And um, our, a lot of our drainage systems are simply not able to have it, to, to handle it. I, I do site visits all the time about drainage issues. And you know, DelDOT and, and, and the Newcastle County Conservation District, they just say over and over again, our drainage systems were never designed to be able to hold this amount of rainfall. And that's just, you know, you're not talking even about changes in sea rise and you're looking at how, you know, how low lying Delaware is, and our beautiful coastline. You're talking about air quality. You know, you're talking about all kinds of things. Um, another thing I'll throw in that I'm proud of is um, I've actually been a vegetarian for 30 years, and a lot of people don't realize what a bad thing for the environment in a lot of ways, um, you know, eating meat is, um, and that it takes so much water and plants um, to feed the livestock, to get them ready for us to eat them, and that we'd be able to feed so many more people and have, you know, have a lot less methane in the air and all of that if people would push more towards a plant-based diet. So I'll put a plug in for that here as well. We're just talking about the flooding that we've seen. I mean, we had Hurricane Ida just a few weeks ago come through, and still people in the northern part of our state are still digging out, still trying to rebuild from that. So with those events becoming more common, 
What do you see as our legislators' role in, in helping to correct those problems and making sure they don't happen in the future? I mean, we have to be really bold with what we're doing, and we have to be bold in terms of climate action. And I know that um, Representative uh, Medina Wilson-Anton is um, going to be introducing a, um, an, a green amendment for the Delaware Constitution. I fully support that. You know, this this past uh, session, you know, we did increase our renewable portfolio standards, but I was frankly disappointed that they weren't a lot higher. You know, they're much lower than even surrounding states and a lot of other states. Um, we have to be bold about this, and and we have to be smart about our infrastructure. We have to be smart about our development, and we have to offer real help to folks who who are going to be increasingly affected by it. And, and, and a lot of times, too, it's, you know, it is the folks, unfortunately, in the less affluent communities who are disproportionately affected by air pollution, by flooding, by all of those things, and also communities of color. Do you have any closing thoughts? Really proud to get my first bill from start to finish. And, you know, I, I you know, wrote it and pretty much, and you know, with the help of the House lawyers and everything. And of course, that was to allow um, students one excused absence per year to attend a civic engagement activity. So that was really a thrill to get my first bill through. Um, a couple of bills this year I, I worked on but uh, didn't introduce yet. And, and right now I'm just working on a lot of legislation, including those to really perfect them kind of, and a lot of other legislation and reaching out to groups. And um, it's exciting. It's exciting to work with everyone in all of it. We're joined by the House Environmental Committee Chairwoman, Representative Deborah Heffernan. So welcome back to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So I thought we could start off by talking about your background. I know on a previous episode, we dove into your, your STEM background a little bit, but could you talk about what you did before you are a representative? Sure. I'm an um, environmental toxicologist, mostly working on remediation of contaminants in groundwater and soil that could be hazardous to human health. I worked with, um, with DuPont and I worked with Denrec and I also work as an environmental consultant with other um, environmental consulting firms doing work in Delaware and throughout this area. And so what kind of things do you, did you see in your work as an environmental toxicologist? Was there anything that was alarming to you or anything that informed how you craft policy? Um, well, I think that part of it is that we have to make sure that the contaminants that could harm human health are remediated or um, remediated in a cost-effective risk-based manner and that no one is able to contact them so that it's not harmful to public health. And that brings us into your Drinking Water Protection Act, which you worked on this year, got passed in both the House and the Senate. So could you give us a little bit of background about that and maybe talk a little bit about what these PFAS or forever chemicals are exactly? PFAS chemicals are, are actually, um, we call them for shorthand PFAS, but they're actually perfluoroalkyl, polyfluoroalkyl substances. So these contaminants do not break down in the environment. They were present in a lot of different 
um, products, but also in firefighting foam. The problem with them being called forever chemicals is that once they're present in the environment, they don't break down. The other thing about them is right now, there's only a guidance level to cover cleanup of these contaminants in drinking water. And my Bill HBA, the Drinking Water Protection Act, would have DENREC, the Delaware Natural Resource Environmental Control Department, and Delaware Public Health come up with a legally enforceable limit, a maximum contaminant limit called MCL for drinking water so that there is a limit level that we would clean up to. When you do get to that level, when you reach that level, how are we able to to bring that level down so that we're making sure people aren't ingesting these dangerous chemicals? In commercial water supplies, there are ways that they're filtered or filtered out so that they do not, the chemicals would not be present in the drinking water when it comes out of the tap for people. Um, For well water, it's a little more difficult because there isn't a purification method, except if there is something like at the tap. PFAS PFAS and PFAS contaminants can have a lot of chronic health effects for people. It can lower immunity. It can have chronic health effects on different organs, including the liver and kidney function. It can also potentially increase risk of cancer for liver and kidney cancer. So there's um, you know, a lot of effects of it that are adverse. The other thing is that once the PFAS content contaminants end up in the body, they are not metabolized. So they actually stay there for a long time and and they're detectable in the blood. And to give a little bit better of an idea of just how many people have PFAS in in their body, do you know uh, about the percent? 99% of the people in the United States have shown some PFAS in their blood. So that means the exposure is so pervasive in our environment. Um, There's areas in Delaware where there's high levels of PFAS in groundwater that have caused, there's been studies, especially in the area of Newcastle, Delaware, where the people exposed to PFAS in drinking water have high levels in their blood. The PFAS, PFAS contamination is so pervasive in water, it's actually also present in commercial drinking water that's supplied by drinking water companies. Now there is filtering and other processes in place to reduce those levels, but that is another way that people can be exposed. And we're talking about groundwater now and and, and kinds of water issues. I know where your district is up north, uh, they experienced some flooding from Hurricane Ida. So as we're seeing more and more of these uh, huge weather events that that were uncommon before, but now are becoming commonplace, what kind of work can the legislator do to to kind of mitigate this? Or what kind of uh, climate policies can you enact at the state level? for addressing our extreme weather events that are leading to sea level rise and climate change in our area. I believe that 
responsible environmental laws is the way to go to make sure that new developments do not lead to flooding or bad water management. And I think also our HB 200, the bill that was for clean drinking water, but also clean water um, will help because we want our water resources in our state, both for recreational and for drinking water, to be clean. In um, North Wilmington, we have a lot of issues with aging infrastructure, but also with drainage issues. I feel that we have so many drainage issues that we have to, to work on, and I'm helping my constituents to manage all of them. These, the flooding, the additional rain really impacts people's yards and houses. The increased water can damage their foundations, flood their basements, wreck the streets. So whereas 10 years ago, more of our um, community transportation funds were spent on paving roads, now I would say most of our community transportation funds, at least in my area, are spent on drainage issues. So do you think this big investment that we're getting from HB 200, the Clean Water Act, is that going to help those issues and prevent future problems? I think that I, I am a real fan. I was a co-prime sponsor of HB 200, and I think that this is going to help our state manage these problems, make sure that as a state we have clean water for recreational purposes, for drinking water, and to keep the water out of people's basements and yards. So on your committee, you got obviously get through some big bills in the 151st General Assembly so far. We've talked about PFAS, we've talked about HP 200. Is there another piece of legislation that sticks out to you that you were proud of working on in your committee? I'm proud of working on the renewable energy bill and also on the community solar bill that we um, recently passed in the General Assembly. So is there anything that we can look forward to next year or is it too early to tell? Is there anything in the works yet? I'm proud of the progress we've made. I am an environmental toxicologist, but I'm also an environmentalist that wants to protect our environment for future generations of Delawareans. And so I'm proud to keep working on projects and bills such as the ones we've done this year that make our state better for everyone. Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. You can find us on Facebook at DE House Dems, on Instagram at DE House Dems, and Twitter also DE House Dems. Make sure you're subscribed to Whip Count so you can keep up to date with the latest happenings at Legislative Hall.